Episode 46, where we have Joe Lenardi coming on later, which is pretty cool. Although I will admit, I think he thought he was coming on to talk about teams and bubble teams. And and I was like, dude, tell me everything about your life. <laughs> and he was like, dang, you care a lot about my life. And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> and I think he liked I think he, it was yeah. different. I think he liked it. I like Joe Lenardi. But I don't think it was what he thought it was going to be, which is cool. He probably liked it. No one has ever asked Joe about Joe. Right. Like Joe had to be like, nobody ever cares about me. So I hope you felt loved. Yeah, that's cool. But we did get to basketball as well. Also, something I learned today is Coleman has legs. We've yeah, never seen him. He's in studio. We've only seen him on FaceTime. I've never met him until today, like physically. Uh, we embraced a little too long. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. But <laughs> I get it. He's here. His wife's also in studio too. Yeah. Which has she ever been introduced? She on has. No. You don't have to be on the show if you don't want to. I'm Emily. <laughs> She's on the show. Hello. Now you're on. There she is, Emily, Yay. everybody. Woo. There she is, Emily. Hey, Emily, how's this whole thing been? Not him traveling around, but him being involved in this because it kind of came out of nowhere, obviously. Yeah, it's crazy. I was like very shocked about it, but I'm used to it now. He's been gone for like two months now. Yeah. So. It's pretty cool that he's gone, huh? You get to do your own thing. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to live by myself. And then whenever I want, if he's like in a cool city, I'll just fly in. This was See? all actually her idea the the entire trip. She just wanted me to get get the heck out of here. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And oh, is your new boyfriend? Is he muscular? Or? Yeah, he's a lot bigger. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, look, we're all here. Coleman's here in person, which is pretty cool. Are you going to be here Monday, too? I will. You went to the game here in town last night, the Belmont game? Yes. Did they win? They did. By one point, came back down 17 at half. It was awesome. They were down 17. 17 at half. And who did you interview for this show we're going to do later? Uh... Missouri State? I don't know if Casey Alexander will be on this one. So Missouri State, Dana Ford, their head coach. And how was he? He was awesome. You went up there. Is that when we talked to you in Branson? Yes, yes. And how was he like as a dude? Like nice? In- incredible. All three that I've interviewed have been so nice. I mean, for me, th- that's like a dream to get to talk to these coaches about their journey. I mean, I've been playing dynasty modes on NCAA college basketball for about the last 20 years. Lead with that. So, they like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to ask them about their journey, you know, their come up from a smaller conference and now a mid-major and then, you know, hopefully looking to make a, a bigger step, I guess, in the future. Did you get free tickets for that show? Yeah, both uh, Missouri State and Belmont hooked me up. Let's go. Is it because we're hooking it up? Absolutely. Okay, good. You guys have been awesome. game changers for Great me. job, really guys. I appreciate it. You're and welcome, man. I just, you haven't done <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean? Neither have I. I'm going to be honest about this. I said, let's, I said, like one thing, I said, hey, can we make sure that Coleman gets into these games and has access? That's all I said. And then Kevin and Mike and Lauren freaking bulldog it. And Eddie and I don't do crap yeah, except really. for the, yeah, so shut up. All right. yeah, let him let him get All the right. flowers. Hey, Coleman, I didn't do anything. He didn't do okay. Well, shout out to them because yeah. they have been making my world so much easier. Next thing, gas. Can you guys help with that? Oh, nope. That's no, where we stop it. Yeah, that's, okay. it. that's okay. it. That's it. <laughs> Understand. All right. All right, let's uh, let's warm up here. Here's the warm up question, and there's a reason I'm asking it. But we'll talk about tennis for just a second. And that you ever played at all? Like, what's the most tennis you've ever played? Because today is National Tennis Day. Really? Yeah. It's random. S- exactly. <laughs> and I, I just saw it as a headline because they always do the stupid days, and I'm like, National Tennis Day. Here's the history of tennis. Ready for it? Yeah, I it's guess. It's pretty boring. Tennis has been a favorite sport of many since the 19th century. Tennis has been around since the mid-1800s, though. Mm. When two friends... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Jim and Aguero Piera developed the game on his lawn in England. And then it goes on and on. But what's the most tennis you've ever played? 
Eddie. Middle school. So I played in seventh grade. Uh, I was like, I have to do an elective, and there was a hot girl in tennis, and I was like, I'm going to do tennis to get with this hot girl. You got ele- to pick Did electives in seventh grade? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like a class. But you got to pick something? Yeah, you get to pick tennis. You want to do track? You want to do whatever? Oh, wow. Like, yeah, so I like tennis. But I, I, didn't, I didn't play any matches. I just went to the class. Do we ever blow the whistle? No, we no. didn't. Oh, I, I got you. All right, everybody. All right, show starts. But have you ever played on uh, grass or ever walked on a grass court? Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, what's that like? Like, is it soft grass, hard grass? Is it like a green it's, on golf? I would say it's in the middle. So you have, and I only know this, and I can get to my tennis story in a minute, but there is a hard court, which is like... Like regular, what we know. Did you play tennis, Emily? I did for she's, like a week. She, okay, she's nodding like she's the ex-tennis <laughs> champion. <laughs> so I was like, maybe we should go to Emily for this. <laughs> but there are like three levels. There's hard court, there's like a grass court, and then there's clay court. And the hard court, good for servers, because it's like, the ball flies off of it. Grass is kind of middle. You can move and you can serve. And clay is why certain players like Nadal win because it's all about it takes Sliding. it takes so much. Well, no, stop talking. Hey, they it slide. Takes, no, hey, they do. Stop talking. <laughs> okay. They do. But I'm saying it's that's moving because the ball loses a lot of steam. Okay, spin. No, I was just throwing things out. Yes, yeah, so he's just saying words. <laughs> Velocity. <laughs> McEnroe say. <laughs> uh, you can't. The ball doesn't bounce off the ground as hard. Basically, yeah, that's, that's this clay. So it takes a lot of that the power away, the power mm-hmm. game. So those guys that can move dominate clay, which is why Nadal wins so many of those. And it seems like they're sliding all over the place when they play that, huh? You did say that earlier. Yeah. Thank you for that. But I just wanted you to acknowledge that. Thank you. I do acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. Kevin? In high school, I was a TA for racket sports. It was a class. So that's probably the closest I've ever been. A teacher's assistant? Teacher's assistant. Was it just tennis sports. or did you do? So it was like tennis, uh, handball, but with a racket. Every that's couple called months, racket ball. Handball with a racket is called racket ball. Yes. Yes. They switch it every couple months and they be different games or different things to learn. Mikey? Wii Sports. I used to be really good Wii Sports. At Wii. Legit. Yeah. Coleman? Uh, very little. My buddies and I, after our senior year that summer, we played a lot of tennis, just a way to be competitive, but that's been the extent of my tennis career. Didn't play any tennis at all, ever. We didn't have. We had tennis courts that we played basketball on. We took the net down and played basketball at school. So we had no, no tennis at all. And I became friends with Andy Roddick, who was three or four in the world at the time. I didn't know him when he was number one. When he won the U.S. Open, he was nineteen then. But we became friends, and he was like, "You want some tennis gear?" And I was like, "I don't play tennis." He goes, "I didn't say that. Do you want tennis gear?" Yeah. So like rackets and everything, bro. Our little group, me, Ahmad, Cruz. We had a group of us. We had like $10,000 in tennis rack. We were like one nickel players with $10,000 gear. I remember seeing all you guys wearing like the same shoes Shoe- one time. Oh, all <laughs> we, we were a professional tennis player. We had the shoes. We had the rackets. It cost like two grand. Extra ones. They would Wristbands. get restrung. We, had, we were covered in Lacoste. Because Andy was just like, just how many, how many of your idiot friends do you want? You guys go play and make your own league up. So that's what he would do. People, we go up to the courts and be like, dang, these guys must be for real. Then we can't even serve it over the net. <laughs> <laughs> we were terrible. You guys would go to the local high school. Yeah, yeah we would play all over. We were starting to we get some tournament play. But that's, and then we stopped. But I much prefer pickleball. Pickleball is awesome. And then I was a pretty good racquetball player in college. But tennis was, never played it. And if you couldn't serve it, it's kind of over. And I just didn't have the patience didn't grow up with the game. It was kind of a rich person game. And you know what was stupid with you and your buddies? And like, this was a little before me. I went to- Me? A, or are you talking about in you, general? You, oh, you, me. You. I went to maybe one match where we went to the high school and played, mm-hmm. and you got into a fight with one of our buddies, and it was serious. And what's so stupid is like, there's no judge there. So like, they're arguing about, it hit the line, bro. No, it didn't. <laughs> well, no one's going to know who's exactly. right. Exactly. That's not exactly what happened. 
Was it the line? I remember it the line, line being called, yelled. But my argument is, if you can't tell, just replay the point. If there's any argument about it whatsoever, replay the point. And was it Cruz? Obviously, it doesn't matter who it was. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I can't see. One of my eyes doesn't work at all. So I had to do a lot of trusting. But I would go like, that was out, or let's replay it. They'd be like, well, you can't see anyway. Trust me. It hit <laughs> so the line. Dumb. So we got to a massive, massive fights. I remember but that But just one. competition, you know? You know what's up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to the tittle-tattle. It's time for the stupidest name ever. It's the tittle-tattle with kickoff. Which quarterback do you think is more likely to get a big contract, Daniel Jones or Geno Smith? Uh, just because of the market, probably Daniel Jones. Hmm. I mean, asking for $45 million, changed his agent. Hmm. And just because you ask for it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It doesn't even mean you really think you're going to get it. But if you ask for $45 million, it's easier to get $35 million. But, man, he had his year. He did have his year. I mean, Dayball coming in, changed a kid's life. And he came in, he played wonderfully. Does he $25 million? Sure. I could see that. And not that that's not a whole lot of money. That's a crazy amount of money. But when you look at the market on quarterbacks that can actually produce, they have to pay him. Don't forget, they didn't take his fifth-year option. They were like, we're good. Four years. We're good, buddy. See you later. Just finish this year out. We're out. They said no. They declined the option. Daniel Jones said, okay, well, we played. New coach comes in. The greatest thing to ever happen to him. The greatest thing to ever happen to him was that they didn't believe in him enough to sign on for another year and – they had a new coach coming in. They couldn't get another quarterback. So we're going to go with Daniel Jones. And they turn. He's rich. He's going to be rich for years. He's good. He's financially set for the rest of his life. And he might actually be pretty good is the real thing. Because people started after, what, six, seven games, you have enough tape on a guy to know his tendencies, to know the tendencies of the offensive coordinator. of every. So in baseball, you get somebody a little tape, they can go, well, we just won't throw there. We won't throw this pitch. We'll do this. Well, they started doing it with Daniel Jones. Like, fine, uh, I'll just run more. Oh, crap, now he runs. Yeah. Well, now we have to – he had enough tools to actually keep teams from locking him down on any one specific skill set. But $45 million, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that's Aaron Rodgers-type money that we even roll our eyes at but probably deserves it at this point in his career. But no, I don't think $45 million. I would go Aaron. I would go Daniel Jones at 25 but Geno Smith has earned his money, too. He's older, too. And he, he is. is. He's earned his money, too. But he will get. Tw- he should get $20 million for a couple to few years. There's no seven-year deal here. There's no guaranteed money like Deshaun Watson or like, you know, Baltimore is being pounded with. Like, Lamar Jackson wants all this guaranteed money like Deshaun Watson. Man, if they do that, if two quarterbacks get all this, this, this guaranteed money— it does change it because now they can just look at the owners of the Browns and go, they're idiots. They gave them all that money because they're idiots. But if two owners do that, now it's a real thing that the, every owner has to deal with. You know they're calling each other going, don't be giving all this guaranteed money. We have to stick together. Yeah, they're idiots in Cleveland, yeah. but we can't do that. What I would worry about is Dan Snyder in Washington, going to sell the team. He could really screw up that place before he leaves by giving somebody a bunch of guaranteed money that then he doesn't even have to pay. Yeah, because he's yeah. scot-free. And then just messing it up forever. I mean, he could set the league back. He would do that. With quarter- yeah, he would. <laughs> He's that tight. He, he would. would. Do that. Uh, next question. Do you think there's any reality to the rumors of Justin Fields being traded before the draft? I don't. I think it's hard to get a good quarterback. We see it. There, there just aren't enough. And they draft quarterbacks in the first round constantly that don't – first-round quarterbacks that don't make it. So when you finally have something that you can build a franchise around – and I think it's cute to think, well, we'll trade him, get some more picks. we got a few quarterbacks coming out in the draft. 
you know, CJ Stroud, you got Bryce Young. There's no guarantee any of those guys are going to be good in the NFL. I don't think any of them are can't miss. I don't think Will Levis at Kentucky's can't miss. And they're saying he's the number two guy out this year. Maybe number one, probably not number one, but you know, every once in a while you see somebody say that. Mm-hmm. I do not think they will trade him. Uh, no chance. Uh, no chance. And it's also posturing pre-draft, too. Don't forget that. Everybody's posturing pre-draft to figure out what pick they're going to get, what pick can they get, who can they get to fall, who can they lie about their character. The kid at Georgia, they're like, bad character guy. And so the story comes out last week, like, you know, they say he's a bad character guy, but here's one of the truth is he paid for one of the walk-ons meals all year because walk-ons don't get their food paid for. So you want to talk about character, and you say he's a bad character guy, let's at least have a little reflection here of what he was doing that nobody even knows about. If there's a walk-on on the team who was not able to be fed, because that's the rules, and he paid for every single meal. So at least mention, hey, here's some good character too. But all this stuff is done by teams. So the stock of players will fall, and they can grab them. What else you got? NBA here. Do you think Russell Westbrook chose the Clippers just to spite the Lakers? I think Russell Westbrook didn't want to move out of his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he stays right there. Yeah, so I don't know if it's as much about Lakers. It's the same play. It's a different locker room in the same building. I think Russell Westbrook, I would have done the same thing. It's like if I were Lamar Jackson and I wasn't going to stay in Baltimore, maybe you go play for Washington. You may not have to move. That's a big deal. We forget that they do have real lives and they're real people with real houses, real friends, real families. They don't want to constantly get moved around. But also, if you live in L.A., you probably don't want to move out of L.A. Yeah. If you're Russell Westbrook. So I don't know if it's despite the Lakers, but I'd, it's probably because he didn't want to have to change his life. And also, he'll probably go and he'll be more of a factor over there with the clubs. And I think he'll actually help that team a little bit more. There was only so much he could do on a bad L.A. team that needed shooting. He's not a shooter. They have shooting with the clubs a little bit. So... Not that it's really going to help them. I saw their odds change none up or down, their Vegas odds, whenever he went over. Because just the line moves a little bit, mm-hmm. but it didn't move at all. It stayed the same, which was weird. Clippers, Lakers, is that like a real rivalry? Like If they're both good, sure. But what's even a rivalry? Watch the All-Star game. They true. don't care. That's true. There are no rivals. No. What's the rival? Unless you just genuinely don't like somebody as a person. It doesn't even matter what team they're on. <laughs> There's no rivals. Sometimes like, your rival plays on your same team. LeBron and Westbrook. So, but yeah, I do think they probably, when they're both good and competing, I do think they get they they have their little moments. Okay. The Clippers are always disrespected when it comes to Clippers versus Lakers totally. because the Lakers are the team. I don't know any Clippers fans. I know Lakers fans. I know Clippers fans. <laughs> you do? Yeah, because they're like family and they have seats there. But other than, they don't they don't have Lakers seats. But they have Clippers season tickets. Probably a lot cheaper. And there's a Clippers uh, one yes. of these actors. Much cheaper. Are they? Much cheaper, yeah. One of those actors is a big Clipper fan. Like he was a kid actor, like Frankie Munez or something. <laughs> <laughs> Racing a NASCAR driver now? Yeah. Malcolm yeah. in the middle? What? He's a NASCAR driver now. Oh, he is. Yeah, he should yeah. be a NASCAR driver. Wow. Mike, will you look at who the Clippers' famous fans are? Billy Crystal is the first really? one that comes up. Really? Yeah. Well, that ain't what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was talking about Jesse McCartney or Frankie Munez or something. All right, next question. As the NBA begins the second half of the season, do you think Jokic is the likely runaway MVP? Well, the odds have him as the likely runaway MVP, and I think he probably wins it unless he gets hurt. He just does it all. He does it all, and they can't stop him. I mean, it's Larry Bird. The, the end. I mean, he's Larry Bird. He's big. He can shoot. 
He could. We don't even remember Larry Bird really because we we're. No. I mean, he's before in especially Coleman was like not even spermy yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, but his wife's right here, Bones. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wasn't either. Right, I know. But like for us, I remember Larry Bird being old and doing the McDonald's commercials. All right, we'll bounce it off. One off the corner, nothing but net. Oh yeah, I remember the that. Super Bowl commercials. All right, off the rim, off the cat, off the bleachers, nothing but net. And you remember him being 45 and playing for the Celtics and then coaching the Pacers. Yeah. But we didn't catch Prime Bird. But Larry Bird, as much as we remember him as a shooter, he's, he was 6'10". You gotta remember Larry Bird was a big dude. And we don't remember him at 6'10 because we don't remember it. But also he, sh- he was known so much as an outside shooter, passer, creator. Like now those are point guard guys unless you're like Jokic who's also a massive dude. He's Larry Bird. Unathletic. And <laughs> White or guy, what yeah. you meant to say. White. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, he is, unless he gets hurt. He's going to win the thing, yeah. Okay, going to NCAA here. How much would you trust Alabama in the tournament if they end up having to play without Brandon Miller? So I was watching the game. We record this later on Thursday. I was watching the game last night, Alabama and South Carolina. South Carolina had a chance to win it. They were yeah. playing in South Carolina. Every time Brandon Miller would get the ball, they'd be, the crowd would yell, lock him up. <laughs> Crazy, him. I know. Crazy. And so <laughs> we can talk about the gun he situation didn't care, in a second. <laughs> hey, I saw him miss a couple free throws early. But Dew went off. He scored four. The overtime put him into the 40s. But South Carolina played tough. They're they're like a gritty, headband, long-haired white dude fouled out yeah. at the end of the game, which hurt him. Because he was like, just he also was like chunky. And I always admire like a chunky player. <laughs> Me too, it man. just goes hard. That doesn't get tired. Yeah. Like, I, I know, dude. I think they do. He looked pretty tired. He looked pretty tired. Yeah, I think they do. But he was out of his mind. He did miss a three late. He could have won the game with a three late. But... Brandon Miller was awesome, and I hate it, and I wish they would suspend him because we play him next. We play him Saturday. Oh, that's why you want to Oh, yeah, for sure. All Got the it. Arkansas fans are just fighting not like crazy online. Suspend him, you know, legally. And we're like, bro, if we weren't playing them, you wouldn't give a crap. Mm-hmm. But he, he's amazing. If he wasn't with that team, I think they're probably a four or five seed. But he's the leader of that team. Nate Oates always had, has these really athletic, long teams, but they only shoot threes, and they only shoot under the basket for the most part. If they... It, and we'll talk to Joe Lenardi about it. He's such a game changer. They could win the whole thing if he's there. If not, I don't see that really happening. Coleman, what do you think? This is your expertise here. I'm not a believer even if they have him in Bama winning a national title. I think they just have too many facets to what they do that don't lead to a national title team. No team has shot the three ball as much as they do outside of Villanova in recent history that's had success in winning a national title. Uh, We talked about it in a previous podcast, how little of an impact big-time freshmen have had on national championship winning teams over since 2015. Bama, very reliant on freshmen this year, and they play at a really fast tempo. Teams that play at that fast a tempo oftentimes create opportunities to give themselves a chance at getting upset throughout that six-game run. I don't trust Bama even with them. Without them, I especially don't trust them. Well, I've changed my mind. I said that too last game, but I watched them. Now I've seen them once. I'm like, yeah, I changed my mind. <laughs> be a terrible jerk. I watched one good game against a bad team, and I'm like, no, they can win it all, baby. <laughs> so Coleman's answer is probably right, but since yeah, I just yeah. watched them, I was like, no, they're real good, man. Trust me. Um, okay, what else you got? Last one here. With most of the talk coming out with the serious contenders in the Big 12 and the SEC, do you think Arizona and UCLA are being overlooked? This is why I'm going to say yes. Just because they're on the West Coast. Yeah, we don't watch them. Mm-hmm. They're being overlooked, probably not because of their talent or anybody going, they suck. Overlooked is not talked about equally because we just, just don't see them play. The football teams get anybody West because they just play way later. 
And it's not even that we're like, we don't like them because they're West. When your game doesn't come on until 9 or 10 or 11 Central or Eastern, the eyeballs that are writing these stories are just going to accidentally overlook them. So they're both very talented teams. But yes, of course they're overlooked. They're not getting the attention that they probably deserve, but it's because of where they live. Coleman? Yeah, I think absolutely they're being overlooked. I think behind Houston, UCLA is my next favorite to win a national title. I love their balance. They've got a couple guys on their team that are veteran that have been to a Final Four before in Hawkes, in Tiger Campbell. I think that could be a team that makes a run to the Final Four, perhaps wins a national championship, that being on the West Coast is getting overlooked. It's just a bad situation for players that want to be in prime time. It's tough to play. A, they'd have to play a 4.30 or 5 o'clock game for us to be able to watch it in prime yeah. time. And they ain't doing that. Seventh period's barely over. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, that's it. Thank you. The stupidest name ever is the tittle-tattle with kickoff. Before we started this, Kevin walked in and goes, do you know about the Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat? And I said, well, what do you mean? I know about what he was doing. He goes, no, is it over? It's over. It's just like the groundhog comes out and we see the shadow and then Come we, on. we go... All right, more winter. Well, that's the best part, too, on social media. Everyone's like, he's out of the darkness. And like, there's pictures of him like walking out. <laughs> he's running into things. He's out of the darkness. As of Wednesday, he was doing it in southern Oregon. And this place is a partially underground hobbit-like structure with 300 square feet of space, no light, with a queen bed, a bathroom, a meditation-like mat on the floor, fully pl- powered. If you want to turn the lights on at any point, you can. And this place is booked up for the next 18 months. Yeah, I hear you, but what happened? Did he come out and go? I don't know. They just said he's out. They should have a table out front when he walks out with all the hats on it. Yeah. Jets, Packers, retirement. And then he does the thing where he's like, puts one on. I was like, nope, just kidding. And then he pulls out that and says, Jeopardy. And then he's going to go back and host Jet. That's what he should do. But instead, we got to wait through the process and say, now what the heck's going to happen? I would love for him to go to the Jets. It would be hilarious because Favre did it. First of all, that's funny to me. He's doing exactly what Favre did. He treated his backup quarterback exactly like Favre treated him. Like history is repeating itself. And then him to go to New York would just, it's the two things that love themselves so much. And it would create the perfect media storm, either for the Jets to win and he would be like a darling or just like a Kyrie Brooklyn type situation where everything is going wrong and it's a disaster. I don't think it goes middle of the road if he goes to the Jets. I, I think he ends up staying with the Packers, honestly. I think he does it again and stays with the Packers. I would love for Carr to go to the Jets. I was looking again at these these Carr stats. Play, he had the worst defense, period, of any quarterback over his time there. When he's with the Raiders, he had literally the worst defense every year. And that sucks. I'd like for him to get a shot because I believe in him. I don't know why. He's gritty. He cries at press conference. That's all I need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you cry at a press conference, I believe you can show up in practice and get <laughs> it done. <laughs> So uh, I would like to see Carr with the Jets. Rodgers will probably stay with the Packers. I think Lamar stays in Baltimore. I don't know how they – you can't let him go. No. Unless you're just getting all the picks from somebody. But still, you can't – unless you're just not going to pay him and he only wants all this guaranteed money and you're going to be Dan Snyder and go, I'll give him guaranteed money. I'll give him $1 billion guaranteed. And then he sells the team the next day and somebody's on the hook for a billion bucks. He sells it to Lamar. There and you he go. Has no agents. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we have nothing from Aaron Rodgers, no indication of what he's going to do. No. No, that was it. I, I don't like that you said, Kevin, that he can turn the lights on. How do we know that uh, he exactly. had a lot of lights on? Exactly. 
We don't. He was watching Netflix the whole time. Like, dude, <laughs> right. that's not a retreat. Hey, I'll be on Darn Street all weekend, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Prove I'm not. <laughs> Prove I'm not. The question is, we'll go around the room, your favorite athlete in sports right now. Mm. Not as a kid, but we could do both. Favorite athlete as a kid and your favorite athlete right now. And for me, that perspective changes because now I know professional athletes and some of them are just idiots. And some of them are awesome, but they're <laughs> so just like true. normal people. Just they're, bros. Yeah, they, got, they have more money, but they're just normal people. It's like artists that I know that are really famous. Some of them are awesome. Some of them are idiots. But they're, so, they're just normal in many, many ways. So, Eddie, you go first. Favorite athlete as a kid, favorite athlete right now. Man, this is weird as a Cowboys fan just to say out loud. So, as a kid, Joe Montana was my favorite. I mean, he was just cool. Like, he, was, he would win, but he was always stress-free, and I love that about him. So, when he retired, it was tough. That's when I went, I went to the Cowboys and, like, became a Cowboys fan. And now, it's crazy to say this, but Jalen Hurts is my current favorite athlete just because how he handles himself. Yeah. He's like, and again, Cowboys fan. Like, I don't. I'm not an Eagles fan. I hate the Eagles. Well, you've picked the two teams that you should hate the most. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and that's wrong with you. That's why I said it's that weird for like, me to okay, say this. Guys, my, my favorite's a Longhorn. No, <laughs> listen. And uh, my other favorite is a Volunteer. But what do we know about players? They don't care about the teams they play with. I mean, Hertz could go to the Cowboys for all, and, and he'll take it if that's the best that's for him. That's just weird that you have identified I, a player on a team that you should hate. I, I agree. And that both of them are that, too. Not even just well, one. But, Joe, but Joe's done. Like, Joe's done. That's that's old or whatever. But with Jalen, it's just weird the way he, like, you know, I like he's, he's awesome. He's a great player. But he, at the same time, he doesn't let his mouth speak for him. His actions speak for him. And I love that about him. I wish we had more athletes like that where it's like, I don't have to say my way into this. Just watch me play, and that'll speak, that'll speak volumes. Born I saw, leader, born winner. I saw one of the receivers in Philly say, which one it was. Like, if he leaves, ship me out with him. AJ Brown. Was it AJ? Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, if he goes, uh, just send me with him. That's like my, you like that too with the quarterback where other players are like, I'll run through a wall for him. Like, that's the guy right there. That's pretty cool to see. So I hey, come I, on. Wasn't also, it big of me to take teams that I'm like, you can't compliment yourself on how big oh. you are. <laughs> you should just let us do No that. one acknowledged <laughs> me, but okay. No, we acknowledged it was weird that both of them were rivals of your favorite team that you live and die with. Yeah. That was a weirdness. It is very weird to say it. Coleman. For me, got, yeah. for me as a kid, it's Russell Westbrook. Um, I know he takes a whole lot of criticism. Oklahoma, though, right? Right, yeah. absolutely. But for me, like if I have a kid, I'm going to tell him that's how you conduct yourself. Doesn't matter if it's a preseason game against Sacramento Kings or the NBA championship. He is going 100% the entire game. And he's never been a guy that badmouths a teammate. Teammates always seem to have great things to say about him and let, let the media run with their own stories. So Russell Westbrook as a kid. What, do you, he, but what about now, Russell Westbrook? Now I'm a little disappointed. I mean, we had to see this drop off coming a guy that relied so much on his athletic ability. Now when that's gone, he doesn't quite have the fundamentals to be able to succeed. And then for a guy that has the mental approach that he does, you know, he's going to continue to see himself as the guy or the dog. And so the end of his career is not going to look pretty. I mean, we may not even be at the ugliest part of it yet, but for what he meant to Oklahoma city and how he conducted himself, favorite uh as a kid for sure my wife loved russ too we have in russ we trust sweaters and hoodies at the house because <laughs> she's a big thunder fan and she's all in she was all in and i can't badmouth russ at all in the house even now she's like we don't talk about bad about russ now even now <laughs> do it it's almost <laughs> like rest it. in peace but don't talk bad about him <laughs> and what about now now i'd have to go with justin thomas so as russ has fallen off baker easily could have been one but didn't quite have the success that i'd hoped for Justin Thomas, uh, I went to the PGA Championship this past year that he won watching him live. That was sweet. 
But I feel like he's done a great job kind of, not to say that he's this guy's level, but taking the torch from Tiger as to be the young guy to lead this uh, generation of golfers, I guess, and expand and grow the game. And then he's just a ruthless competitor. I feel like he's the real Captain America. Patrick Reed got that after, you know, a great one great performance. <laughs> Patrick Reed's hilarious, by the way. But yeah, go ahead. But Justin Thomas, I believe, is the true Captain America. You know, it's interesting. I don't feel, and it's, you're like 60 years old picking a golfer as your favorite. Yeah, so, it's so interesting. Yeah, which is wild. So aside from that, if you had to pick somebody that Tiger, quote unquote, passes the torch to, who would you say it was? Would you say it was Justin Thomas? I don't think I would. No, I wouldn't. I, I don't think I would. I think Rory, Rory's but he's not American, one. and you did say Captain America, and you only right. love American people. I got it. Um, <laughs> John Rahm's not American. No, Spaniards. Although he, he looks like he's American with his gut hanging. You know, he's like eats the processed <laughs> foods like we do, does that thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying uh, passing the torch okay. in terms of a talent perspective, but uh, in terms of being the face of the sport. What about Justin? Well, yeah, or what? Jordan Spieth. Yeah, what about Jordan Spieth? Who I know Jordan a little bit, right? Jordan Spieth. Um, I love Jordan Spieth. I love the commentary that he has that we can almost like get into his and his caddy's emotions. Yeah, yeah. We hear him talking throughout every single shot. Oh yeah, Eddie thought but, he was Michael's best friend. We played around with. What are you talking Jordan. about? Thought I am Michael's best. friend. We walked with Jordan and Michael. We played around with them. You and Greller tight, dude. And we're so Eddie tight. would forget my clubs walking with Michael, and I'm like, bro, he's carrying Jordan's. Why do you not have mine? You're yeah. And he's dude. like, well, I was talking to Michael. Okay, got my clubs. Alex, we're, we're trading dad stories, and Bobby's like, hey, sandwich. I'm like, you got it. The bag's over there. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, yeah. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Spieth just hasn't been as consistent as JT. JT's been a top 10 player consistently now for the last six years. Spieth had that fall off, but no doubt he could be argued right up there with him. Have you all watched that show on Netflix? Yep. Swing it? I haven't yet. No, I haven't yet. I can't wait for this journey then because that's the first thing I'm doing. Hey, the first the first episode features Jordan and Justin so they're, and their relationship, which is really cool. They dated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess so in a weird way. Um, I haven't watched. I want to. There's also the show coming out that they just announced that Peyton Manning's production company finished. That's like the quarterbacks on Netflix where yeah. Mahomes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and all those guys are Mike the whole season. We didn't know it. Yeah. Kirk Cousins yeah. and Mariota. Sweet too. They were, wow. That's going to be good. They were, yeah. And that's good too because you got Mahomes who won it, Cousins who played better than normal and they choked it, and then Mariota who kind of flashed early but didn't have a great season overall, right? Wouldn't you mm-hmm. say? Like mm-hmm. he's not going to have a job next year guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So we're watching, we're not watching three quarterbacks win the whole thing or get deep in the playoffs. It's like three different journeys mm-hmm. of three different players. That's cool. That'll be great. And so that's cool too. Uh, my favorite athlete as a kid was Mark Grace, first baseman for the Cubs. I played first base. I was left-handed. He was number 17. Wasn't a power hitter. Neither was I. He would get on base a lot. I was like, that's my guy. Everything about him. Mark Grace, Mark Grace. I was, And why I brought this up is I think my favorite athlete as an adult is Pat Bev. Wow. wow. Because for a couple reasons, he just doesn't stop. When you talk about Tanet, he's a guy that you want on your team, but if he's on our team, you hate his guts. Yeah, exactly. And that's the dude that I feel like he would have everybody's back. If he's in the locker room with you, even if he may not get along with you right then, if something happens out on their court, like, he's got you. Like, I would hear him defending Westbrook, even with the Lakers. He was like, that's my dude. Somebody's going to get into it with him. We're going to go right there. But, like, Pat Bev always goes hard. And he's playing with the Bulls now which will be interesting to see. He's going back home. That's where he's from, Chicago. I just admire tenacity. And also, he did play at Arkansas. I don't know if that affects anything. Just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, probably. <laughs> a little bit. Being a Russell Westbrook guy, I didn't like the knee injury that your guy caused. 
my I think, guy. Yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah, having I, a little fight. I don't own him. <laughs> you all should fight <laughs> it out. Not, I didn't like. You guys should. He's not my fantasy player that I've drafted and or anything. So shut up. Emily, what about you? Were you an athlete? Not at all. Huh. <laughs> I have a favorite, like, athlete adjacent. I have a weird obsession with Jim Nance. Like, his oh. voice is, like, my favorite. I met him. Really? I just both met did. him. Yeah, we spent, he's so nice. I love him. He called, we were playing um, at Pebble Beach, and they did a thing on TV, and they, they're like, okay, up next, Bobby Bones. And I get up, and I was, I was in the group with Aaron Rodgers. I beat Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you did. You can always I, say that. I did in the group, but Jim Nance called the shots, and he's like, up next, uh, host of Snake in the Grass, and all right, there it is. Oh, oh 12, 11 feet, 11 inches. Three, oh, That's so my dream. Cool. Yeah, it was so cool. And it's crazy to say, like, obviously he talks like that in normal life, but it, he really does. Mm-hmm. When he's just talking to you, he's like, so are you having fun? Did you <laughs> eat the chicken today? It's pretty good. Looks like Eddie's walking over toward me right now. Uh, so was that yours now or as a kid? Uh, just like always. Always. I don't really have one now, I guess. I just keep up with the Thunder. Okay, and who's yeah. your favorite Thunder player? Shay. Or... Uh, What's the other guy? Jalen Williams? The no, new one? the one that looks like Timothy Chalamet. Josh Giddy. Oh, Josh, Josh Giddy. Giddy. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah. funny. That's He's a like a one. tall Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. They call him Himothy. Like yeah. him. That, that's yeah. good. <laughs> He's cute. That's hey. That's what she's cute. Hey, I, yeah, think we, no. I think we found out why. We're not gone. Be away. <laughs> Guys uh, like Josh huh? and Jim have been popping up on the phone. <laughs> you serious? It, Australia, no. <laughs> like thirteen numbers long. It's like an Australian <laughs> area code. Okay, so we're going to go to Joe Lenardi here, who Joe Lenardi's, I mean, he's that guy for sure. Uh, Joe Lenardi is the guy who created Bracketology, who has nailed it. I just, if we'd had more time, I would have been like, seriously, somebody's like tipping you off on stuff occasionally too, right? Because he's got to have so many resources, not illegally, but somebody's got to be calling and being like, I feel like in the room, this is happening. And now people like, you know, uh, Coleman, Exist and Coleman's trying this whole new thing, but if Lenardi's not there creating this industry, people like Coleman probably aren't driving all over the country in mid majors going, I'm going to find my niche inside of this niche. Would you agree with that? Is that fair? No, absolutely. When I originally started the Twitter that I have now, it was a bracketology Twitter. Joe was posting like once every four days or something like that. That wasn't enough for me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and be a bracketologist myself. So Joe definitely inspired the journey for sure. It's like, guys. For me, that would be like uh, Howard Stern, uh, Rush Limbaugh. Although I'm not like them, they did things on television and radio. And so had they not kicked in doors, I wouldn't have been able to go, oh, I want to do that too. I want to do a little different. But like respect, right? Yeah, that's cool. So that's it. So Joe Lenardi, ESPN Bracketologist. We're talking to him now. Hey, Joe. Hi, Bobby. Good to talk to you. Is it weird being famous now? Because, I mean, your name is as famous as anybody in sports media I just, this is such a, you know, you, you've cornered this market. Is it weird to be Joe Lenardi, parentheses, famous guy? Only for these two or three weeks a year. You know, you say that, but I, I feel like I'm, Joe, I, watch I feel your, like I'm living kind of in an out of body experience for about a month. I watch your brackets all, like the first week of the season in like November, right? And, and I'm a big Arkansas guy, but we're playing like practice games. And it's like, here's Lenardi's bracket. And I'm like, Joe's working like full time now. This is not even like getting close to the tournament. He's going hard all the time. So I would, do people recognize you at the airport now? I'm like, there's Joe Lenardi. Yeah, I can tell people are staring a little bit from time to time, <laughs> but it's more seasonal than anything else. Uh, you know, I keep a pretty low profile in the off season. 
I wouldn't be cool if I saw you. I would geek. I literally would be nervous to talk to you because to me, you know, we're in a fractured fame world where everybody's, you know, just because you're famous to somebody doesn't mean you're famous to somebody else. But I would see you in an airport and go like, I can never go up and talk to Joe Lenardi because I'm a massive fan of what he does. So I'm just going to let him be. It, I would be intimidated by you because of how much I respect your work. Is that weird to hear that that would happen? Only the part about not coming up to say hi. Like, I, I have no issue with that. Like, if somebody kind of gives me a look sometimes, especially if it's like a high school kid or youngster, like, I'll almost just put my hand out and shake their hand and say, Hey, I'm Joe. And if, if they're obviously a college basketball person, I'll say like, who's your squad. And that, that's an easy way to start a conversation. Yeah. Please do that to me. If you ever see me, because I'll be too intimidated because I want to bother the big famous Joe Lenardi. But if you <laughs> see me say, Hey, I'm Joe, who's your squad. And then we'll be, we'll ride off and run and Joe, me and you buddies for life. There you go. Okay. Joe, where did it start for you back in the day? Like when you first started to go, I want to do this job. Were you a writer at, at a small newspaper or something like that? I did do a lot of sports writing uh, in and around Philadelphia. It, it, it's kind of a great college basketball city because there's six Division One schools. And generally, in any given season, there's a couple, three of them that are in the national picture. So, you know, the tournament is pretty much an annual event. Um, and, you know, I can't say that during those years of being a sports writer, I ever said to myself, man, I want to work at ESPN someday and I want to be a bracketologist because frankly, when I started, there was no ESPN and there definitely wasn't bracketology, much less the internet as a way to kind of convey all this and generate a following and, uh, you know, maybe kind of create something from nothing, Bobby. Like I I'd like to say there was this grand business plan but there wasn't, and it just evolved into something uh, that's fueled by the passion, frankly, of, of people like you. Like, do a lot of people know that you're a college basketball junkie? I've found that they're out there, yeah. and, you know, the people from all walks of life, because it's it's kind of a unique sport in that way, right? Like, you know, pro sports are kind of dominated by the big cities, but everybody has a team. Because everybody went to school somewhere. Yeah. You, you know, it could be the biggest city in America, you know, UCLA, or it could be a small college town uh, making a run and being a Cinderella. And and I think in a way that's why the, the NCAA tournament is, is unique in that it's so inclusive geographically and all kinds of people. No, I, I do want to get down to brass tacks in a second, but I'm just interested in your story so much. And I have friends who are in the creative space and, you know, they had to work, we'll, we'll call it a real job until they got to the point where they could mm -hmm. quit their real job to do their passion. So you spent 30 years or close to 30 years at St. Joe's. You had a real job in communications and marketing. A real job isn't like you go, you show up, you do the work and then you go home. But at what point did you go, man, this crazy idea I can actually make my full living. I'm going to quit my real job and do the dream job because that's a huge step. When did you do that? And were you nervous about doing it or did you feel set? Uh, I didn't really ever quit my real job. I I, I just, in, in a way, maybe, maybe just kind of rose out of it over time. Uh, when our youngest finished college, 
it and it, it it became a point where I didn't have to be a nine to five administrator or a VP in higher ed anymore. And yeah, I'd always thought to myself, what would happen or what could happen with basketball if I didn't have a day job, but I loved my day job. Mm. And, you know, it was, it was my school. I, I, I met my wife there. One of our children went to St. Joe's and, and, you know, you just kind of wake up one morning and go, man, I, economically, I, I wasn't sure I had to do that anymore. So it was, it was a little bit of a risk. Uh, but, but in retrospect, uh, may, maybe I should have made the jump sooner because I'm having a ball now. Yeah. I mean, it's everything that I've worked for, right? It's, you know, we work so hard to have a shot at our dream. And then once we get it, it's like, man, like it can actually be done. I never thought it could be done until I was able to, to like grind myself into it. And like, I hope to be somebody that people can look at and go, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. But like you created this whole new space. And like, I, I really like admire that. And the fact that this wasn't happening until freaking Joe Lenardi did it. And he was doing it a long time before it really popped. When did it pop for you where it went to the next level where you're like, holy crap, what I'm doing is so loved by people. And I didn't expect it to be this big. There were a couple of inflection points. Uh, c- certainly when Bracketology got its own space and page and real estate on ESPN.com. I have been doing it for a few years, you know, before, frankly, sports websites had evolved very much. They were pretty much HTML and ugly. Uh, and then in, in 2002, uh, somebody got the idea to give it its own kind of space and and platform within college basketball, the SPN, and it launched on a Monday night in January. I'll never forget because because I I went from Philly up to Bristol, you know, to be there and help out. And I mean, the traffic in the first hour or two. The editors and I, we just kind of looked at each other and went, oh, we found something here. And, you know, I'm not very good at the business of business. Or I, I, I suppose I would have asked right then to, you know, get paid by the hit or something <laughs> like that. But clearly there was clearly there was uh, an audience. And it coincided with a time when. Frankly, the, the people who actually picked the tournament, NCAA Men's Basketball Committee, was not very open about what they did or how they did it. So there was, if you're a fan of, I don't know, Arkansas or Boise State or Minnesota or Connecticut, you, you know, you're you're going with what you get out of the local paper or maybe a paragraph every once in a while in USA Today, like back when we had newspapers. And they'd be outside your hotel room during the morning. Uh, and here was, here I was kind of letting people into something that they were incredibly interested in, but no one would have had a way of knowing that. Uh, so, so the combination of, of digital media and the internet and to ESPN's credit, you know, look, I'm five, five and slow on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and and like I I I I can't touch the rim. I 
can barely coach a CYO team. And, you know, the, the typical model of sports experts on television is former coach, former player, right? Big name, you know, somebody with a, a built-in following. And, and you know, here I am, just a kind of a nobody higher ed person from Philadelphia who happens to like college basketball a lot. And to ESPN's credit, they were about the content, not about – uh, you know, how I looked or how I sounded or the fact that my my resume w- wouldn't have gotten me interviewed for an assistant coaching position at a middle school. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, being reasonably accurate yeah. certainly helped uh, o- o- over time, but I never took it very seriously Um uh, probably for another 10 or 15 years after that, because it was more of a hobby than it was an avocation. Yeah. I, I just love or the story. a vocation. I should say one final question about just your story and we won't get to basketball, but I'm so interested in Joe, the person, because this is like, he, he's like, a, he's a revolution. I mean, he, he is, he started something he, <laughs> and I know it sounds dramatic, but it's the truth and how, you know, how I've done things I've been in, I wouldn't say trouble, but it was difficult for me because I've in the spaces that I've been in, I've been very different which people did not like, the old guard did not like. Did you get any pushback when you were revealing things from people who were working inside of maybe schools or, or the NCAA? Like, hey, you shouldn't share that, Joe. Uh, I think it probably took a little while to gain some credibility in, in the NCAA and athletic administrative world uh, because m- most people that come into something like this have a bias toward their school, toward their region, toward their point of view, whatever it might be. And I was only interested in learning and getting it right. Um, yeah, I have favorite schools and favorite coaches and favorite players, just like anybody else. But, you know, at the end of the day, I get judged on how well I can mm-hmm. predict what those 10 and now 12 people on the committee are going to do. It doesn't really matter if I think Alabama is better than Houston or better than Kansas or better than Purdue. It matters what they think and how much and how well do I understand their process to replicate it. You, You know, coaches and administrators call me all the time asking for insight, and I have to remind them, I don't have a vote. I'm never going to never going to have a vote. Uh, I'm like an election pundit. I I, I look at the polls. I look at the numbers. I observe and forecast. Uh, But, you know, and and I'm fortunate to have been the first to do it. So I have the largest platform, I suppose. But many, many, many other people are doing it now and doing it quite well. Uh, and maybe understand the math better than I ever will. But my communications background, I think, allows me to convey it in a way that hopefully makes it watchable. Yeah. Well, we have like and readable. Five minutes for basketball questions. I would just do a whole talk about Joe's life, honestly. But <laughs> it's been good. Our listeners are going to know. Well, you're the one. You're the one who's interested in it. So I appreciate that. Well, I, <laughs> we could do an hour about you, Joe. Uh, basketball wise, I watched the Alabama South Carolina game last night, 
And I watched Brandon Miller just go off, scoring 40 points. They went into overtime. And I'm, I'm amazed to watch this kid. He's a freshman, but he's also in all this trouble. Not trouble. All of this stuff is coming out about the gun. So not asking about that situation, but if he is not on the team, and Alabama is mm-hmm. a clear number one right now, does that affect the seeding? I, think, I do too. Does that affect the seeding without him? Even let's say they don't lose a game, but he gets is not able to play in the tournament. Would they drop him? The the the, the tide. Probably, and I say probably because we don't know when he would go out, and would there be an opportunity for the committee to observe them without him? This actually happened once uh, in in. I want to say it was 2000, the 1999-2000 season. The number one team in the country was Cincinnati. The player of the year was Kenyon Martin. And in their first conference tournament game, as the presumptive number one team and top seed, he broke his leg. And he was out. I mean, obviously, you're not coming back and Mm. playing a week later. Right? And... You know, what do you do at, at that point? You're guessing at what that team is going to be like. They ended up getting a two seed, Cincinnati, and, and they lost in the second round, I think, to whoever the seven was. Um, something in me wants to say Tulsa, but I'm not 100% sure of that. And, you know, that was kind of a an, a, an experiment in, in how to – observe what the committee would do like that was unpre- they, they had no way of logically approaching that yeah oh. but they couldn't make them number one overall just on common sense because then they're giving a disadvantage to some other teams who who might have been legitimately better at the, that point i think in alabama's case um well first of all i don't think he's going to miss any games the, the university i'm putting my higher ed had on universities made it very clear what their position is. And I think barring a significant change in, in evidence, it's not going to change. And we could have another whole show on whether that's right or wrong. Sure, I'm just saying Brandon Miller playing in the tournament and this situation being talked about for another month is pretty much a guarantee. North Carolina, Kentucky, because we have like three minutes left before I know you got to go. But North Carolina, Kentucky, North Carolina needs to probably make a run. I've never seen anything like it, what's happened to them this season versus last season and the expectation. And then also Kentucky, who just – and they're playing a little better now. But both of those teams, what do they need to do to get in? I think Kentucky's reasonably safe at this point. Uh, you know, they swept Tennessee. They, they, I'm not a big eye test guy. I'm more of a data results guy. But but it's 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 pretty clear that they figured out a better way to play, and it involves, you know, keeping the ball in the hands more often of their better players, which seems kind of in basic and intuitive. But but they they're, they're probably going to keep rising a little bit. They're not going to meet the preseason expectations in terms of seeding, but they're going to be wearing white in their first game. I'm 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 pretty convinced of that. Uh, as for North Carolina. Uh, without being there every day, like clearly they're a mess in, in something that's not basketball related. Mm-hmm. And we may never know what that is. I mean, this is a team, Bobby, you know, like they have four starters back 
in an age where that doesn't happen much. And those players had a 16-point halftime lead in the national championship game. And, like, yeah, Brady Manick was a really good player, and he's not there. But they can't make a shot. And they made enough shots to be in the national championship game. So, like, something is not right. And I don't think they're going to make it because I just don't think they're good enough. And their body language tells me that that they're not – they don't really care enough about being in it. Right. They won last night, but – Yeah, the Notre Dame game. But, yeah, it was – They weren't good. It it was sloppy and – yeah, it did not – and they beat a bad Notre Dame team too – it was not good Correct. at all. And I watched going, maybe they're going to play so much better. Maybe they know now. And it just was like a group of guys that they were just a little better and they won the yeah. game and it was over. Like Kentucky found a gear. Yeah. Because they were they were on the outs a couple weeks ago. Caroline, maybe they do find the gear. I'm just not seeing it. All right, one minute left here. And this is not a biased question, except it's extremely biased. Arkansas has Nick Smith finally back. <laughs> Listen, we lost two starters. Nick Smith is finally back. Lottery pick. He's playing. He scored twenty five, a little more twenty five against Georgia. Will that affect the seeding at all if Arkansas does get in, which I hope and think they will? But now that their their best player is back, will it give them a lift with the committee, or are they just like you are who you are? I think it's going to be more the latter. I could see maybe a seed line improvement from seeding, but but I'll give you the flip of that, Bobby, which is they're going to get a seed that they're probably better than and able to outperform. So it's not so much an Arkansas situation as it is like who do they play and and those opponents are going to be getting probably a much tougher draw because, you know, Arkansas has like two-seed, three-seed talent, I think, when they really right. have it together and they've proven their ability to win in March. I, I, I think they're very dangerous. All right, we have to let Joe go. Here's the thing, Joe. Um, I'm gonna fill in. For, I'm filling in for Rich Eisen next week on Rich's show, and hopefully, I can get you on over there, and we we'll go straight basketball. I'm just such a big fan, and you guys follow Joe, ESPN Lenardi. Uh, donate to his GoFundMe. I don't even know if he has one, but if he does, <laughs> pay, send him some money. I, you know, he, he I don't. But if you want to do coaches versus cancer, that would be my boom. Oh, that's cool. There we go. All right, Joe Lenardi. Joe, we got to clap for you because you're the guy. Yeah. We appreciate you, and we will hopefully see Thanks, you soon, Jay. Joe. See you, buddy. All right, that was Joe Lenardi. It's awesome. I wish we'd had more time, but, uh, you know, I'm grateful for the like, – like Dr. Seuss said, don't be sad because it's over. Be happy because it happened or some crap like that. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, not verbatim. Do you know, Emily, what he said, what Dr. Seuss said? About I, that? I, I don't know what it, he said. Smile that. because it happened? Coleman, did I ask you? <laughs> I asked your wife. You asked my wife. I asked your wife. Is this what happens at the house? I wouldn't want him home either. Yeah, I don't listen well. Yeah. I would be like, you need to go to Winchester U for a couple days and watch their third string. I get it. I didn't get it, Emily, but now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to Joe for coming on. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I want to talk about this Rich Eisen thing in a second because I'll be filling in for Rich Eisen next week, which I'm super excited about. And I'll get to that in my final thought here. But I'll be doing a series on TikTok called Old People in Sports Who You Didn't Know Were Really Cool. Ooh, that's cool. Because there are so many awesome – we talked about Larry Bird earlier, right? If we don't see a bunch of old clips of him dominating, we have no idea really how good he was or – TV shows, or sure. like we depend on that. We depend on content to remind us at how good some of these old folks were. So I have all these people that I'm going to do on my TikTok, which is Mr. Bobby Bones. But I'm going to start with Pistol Pete, which 
just listen to a few notes. And if you've seen the Pistol Pete movie back in the day or if you've seen clips, I don't think people can fully appreciate how good Pete Maravich was for a bunch of reasons. But, I mean, he was showtime before the Lakers. He was doing no-look passes. The ball handling that would be advanced today, he was doing then. But think about how advanced it was then. He was a great shooter. If they would have had the three-point line, they didn't even have the three-point line. Mm. He's popping on from three when there was no three. He averaged 44 points a game at LSU with no three-point line. 44 points a game. Yeah, that's crazy. Without a th- I mean, you're talking about 55 a game, probably, if there's a three-point line. Can't even fathom that. It's insane. It's, it's so wild. His number has been retired. And, he- and here's the thing. People go like, well, he was a failure in the NBA. His number has been retired by three different NBA teams, the Hawks, the Jazz, and the Pelicans. The NBA did not even put in the three-point line until his final season in the NBA. And so he averaged, I think, 20 or so in the NBA before his knees gave out, but with no three-point line. He was just so ahead of his time. So what I'll be doing is a series and showing videos. And the Pistol P thing, it, I just get angry, even at myself, for not giving <laughs> him the respect he deserves. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so stupid. Why do I not love Pete more? It's because I, I haven't been educated properly. So I'm doing a series soon called Old People... I don't really have the name yet. <laughs> so we're on it. Something about old work, people in sports. Work in progress. I don't know yeah. if this will be in your series, but this was a little tidbit I got. So people on Twitter, um, some have been joining me for games. So I got joined by this North Carolina kid that he's a diehard NC State like People fan. are just like, you're like fish or? Like yeah, they'll, they'll just DM me, be like, hey, I'm going to that game. He has fans. Yeah. No, they're, they're following him. you around the country. Dang, dude. Yeah. Nice. Like Grateful Dead. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So, Coleman um, crew. He tells <laughs> there me we go. that Pete was supposed to go to NC State, didn't make the ACT score high enough, so then he went to LSU. Could have hey, been an NC State player. Put that in your TikTok. You uh, that won't make it a failure. No, no. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm trying to show people why he's awesome. <laughs> so that'll be coming up. I do want to go over to this interview with Coach Dana Ford from Missouri State. What was he like as a guy? Man, he was awesome to meet with. Just a very respectable dude. Um, has an incredible foundation called the Rebound Foundation. He and his wife started where... Um, they take homes that had domestic violence, the, the female they help support for the next six months to a year, try to find a job, find living, things Dang. like that. Awesome. Uh, so he seemed like an incredible dude in my time with him. So here he is. This is Coleman with Coach Dana Ford doing a big at Missouri State. Here with Coach Dana Ford, head basketball coach of Missouri State. Coach Ford, I just wanted to ask you, growing up, great high school basketball player, played college basketball at Illinois State. What pushed you to pursue basketball and then coaching after your playing career? Well, I grew up in a small town in southern Illinois, and basketball was king, and, and that's really the, the only thing that we had to, to, to do. And uh, fell in love with the game at a young age. Was fortunate enough to play in college, and uh, after college, um, you know, I had a decision to make. And I've been impacted by coaches my entire life. My high school coach, uh, Chuck Doty, uh, my college coaches, Tom Richardson, Porter Moser. And so, uh, fortunately, I chose that path, and uh, it's, it's been a great experience. I'm an OU alum, so I got to hear Coach Moser speak before the season this year. His energy is just contagious. What is something that you learned from Coach Moser in your playing career that you implemented? with your current teams today? Well, I learned a lot from him, and uh, he's very he's got a 
uh, a tremendous basketball mind. Um, just the importance of body language, uh, you know, the importance of, of habits, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of commitment, uh, attention to detail. Uh, there are so many things that we try to implement in our program right now uh, on a daily basis as well. What was it like before you're even 30 years old getting offered a head Division One coaching job, being the youngest coach in college basketball? You know, it was a very uh, humbling experience. It was unique. Uh, 28 years old, head coach, uh, something that you dream about. Not necessarily doing it by that age, but but you, you feel like one day you can run your program. And uh, Teresa Phillips, athletic director at Tennessee State at the time, uh, believed in me and, and uh, so very appreciative for that. And, um, you know, just every day of my life, I'm thankful to be a, a college basketball coach. Take me through um, the lows, I guess, of your first season, five wins, to then the highs of your very next year, quadrupling that, getting 20 wins at a program that had only had a winning season two times in the last 19 years. You know, the first year was tough. We took over the program, and uh, we basically had to bring in 12 new players, and uh, that, that was not an easy task, but it was something that had to be done. And, um, you know, it was sort of a blessing in the skies because we, we had a chance to implement our our culture from day one because all the players were guys that we had brought in. And the one returner was a guy that I had signed when I was an assistant coach there. And so uh, that, that was fortunate. And that, that helped us uh, the following year. Our culture was in place. We just had, we just need to add a few more bodies, you know, a few more guys that can do some things. And, uh, our kids played really hard, great kids, and won a lot of close games and, and ultimately ended up with a 20-win season. When you're an assistant at Wichita State, you, ran, you land uh, Fred Van Fleet. When you're at Tennessee State's ahead, you land Robert Covington. How were you able to find those diamonds in the rough, and then what what is it like seeing their success in the NBA? You know, I'm just a, a blessed man. I mean, I, I like to say that it's something else, but um, it's just the Lord leading me to the right places at the right times, to be honest. Um, both of those guys are, are coaches dream, high character kids, are tough, underachievers, play with the chip on their shoulder and uh, become overachievers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's exciting to see those guys have success because they're following their dreams. And, uh, you know, I use those guys as examples to our players every single day that you can you can obtain your dreams no matter where you go. Right. Last year, 23 wins here at Missouri State, most wins in the program in the last 11 years. What did that mean for you personally and then for this program? Well, just personally, I was happy for our players. Uh, we had a couple guys that had stuck together for a few years. And, um, you know, we had a big kid, Gage Prim, that could have transferred and went anywhere in the country but, but stuck with us. Um, and then we had a, a dynamic guard, Isaiah Mosley, probably the same scenario. But um, And then we had a host of, of high-character guys play around them. Um, you know, Javante Black, Lukai Patterson, uh, Isaac Haney, Keaton Hervey, Donnie Clay. I mean, so we had a, a nice mixture of, of guys. And um, so so just personally, I was just happy for the players. Mm-hmm. This year, um, replacing essentially your entire roster, nearly Donovan Clay, the only guy averaging over two points a game returning. What was that challenge like, and how were you able to get chemistry to gel so quickly? Yeah, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation. But uh, we had to play the hand of cards that we were dealt, and uh, you know it was uh, it was challenging because uh, that's a lot of phone calls, it's a lot of official visits, it's a lot of background check, character check, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I give credit to our staff; they did a great job, and we've assembled a, a group of guys that have the potential to develop into a really good team. Uh, this year has been up and down uh, due to a lot of different 
different reasons. Uh, but I think most importantly, uh, just struggling with the the level of consistency you need to be good every day. But, but I think that comes with age. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of fun coaching this group, very fun group. Uh, and so looking forward to see how they can develop over the next couple of years. How integral has Donovan Clay played in being able to carry that identity, the culture that you've established in previous years to this team with so many newcomers? He's played a big part in that and, and just, you know, having an understanding of what we like to do in regards to how we like to operate, um, having a, a voice in the locker room, uh, you know, especially dealing with so many first-year Division One players. Uh, I think that that's very important. And, uh, you know, Donnie wants to win first and foremost. And uh, I think that that, you know, throughout the course of this year has helped bring along some guys a little quicker than what we imagined. Mm-hmm. You've been able to bring in three Power Six transfers along with two guys that played for NCAA tournament teams at mid-majors a year ago. What are your thoughts just in general on the transfer portal? Clearly you're able to utilize it for your success. And, you know, I think it's some positives and some negatives. Um, with our situ- situation of signing so many players, we felt that it was necessary to, to tap into it a little bit. Um, you know, each year is a different challenge. Each team needs a different type of player. But uh, it's it's good to have that option if you need it. Uh, and then it's good for the players to have the option if they're using it for the right reasons. But that's like anything. And so, um, you know, my thoughts on the portal is it's here to stay. And uh, I think the, the best advice is to figure out how to uh, utilize it in order to help your program. The previous three years, you all have been about middle of the pack in the country in tempo. This year, 355th out of 363. What has been the reasoning for that concerted effort to play a slower style? Well, we, we struggle taking care of the ball. And, and uh, you know, when, when we play really, really fast, we turn the ball over and the other team gets it and lays it in <laughs> or gets open shots. So until we can mature and, and develop our skill to where we can take care of the ball, and, and it's best that we take our time and at least get a shot at the rim. Right. That makes sense. Do you feel like your team is peaking at the right time as we head towards March and Arch Madness? Well, you know, prior prior to our last two games, I felt like we were starting to play really, really a lot better. Uh, our last two games, we haven't, we haven't necessarily uh, started one game very well and then finished another game very well. But mm-hmm. I do think in between we're doing some good things. Uh, what I like about our group is they're high character. They keep working. They're a lot of fun. And um, I, I do think that they can get hot and beat anybody. We, mm-hmm. We've proven that. We've got, I want to say, four wins against the top five teams in our league. And uh, that's not easy to do. Right. So, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it and, and hopefully play our best basketball a, a week from now. Right. To that point, you all have already swept Drake. What kind of confidence does that give your guys in the locker room that, hey, we can play with anybody in this conference. We just have to be playing our right, our best basketball come early March. I think it gives the guys a lot of confidence. Drake's a really good team, a program we have a lot of respect for. Um, they're obviously one of the best mid-major if not one of the best programs in the country this year. And so uh, just just being able to draw back from those experiences throughout the year should help us, and, and not only help us this year, but help us in the years to come. Mm-hmm. I've got a bit of a tough question for you. Um, I noticed through your career you had six conference tournament losses by one possession or less. What is the lows of that like to end your season when you're so close to surviving and advancing? And then conversely, does that fuel your fire even more to bring home a conference championship? It's a great question, and um, I think it does. You know, I think those hardships that we've dealt with have, have fueled us to continue to keep keep going and, and, and um, you know, looking for our opportunity to eventually break through one day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I didn't quite know it was that many. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, Coach. That's okay. I'll, I'll remember. Yeah. I wanted to give you a chance, if you'd like to, to speak on your faith and what that's done for you within coaching and impacting young people's lives as a coach. Yeah, it's been really important to me, and uh, it's developed over time. My wife, Christine, has really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I, I hold near and dear to my heart. I take really serious. Um, you know, no one's perfect, but I think that's the beauty of your faith is, is having someone to, to lean on, to carry you, and, and just be there for you, mm-hmm. especially um, in, in tough times, you know. And so um, we've all got to spend eternity somewhere. And, yes, um, I'd like to spend mine in paradise. <laughs> yes, sir. Last question for you. I'd, I'd like to give you a second to speak on your foundation, what that is, and what, um, I guess, inspired you to start that. So the Rebound Foundation was started by my wife, Christina, and I, and uh, both being from families where domestic violence has a, a nasty history. And uh, after the birth of our daughter, Charlie Rose, eight years ago, we felt like we needed to be able to reach out and help our community that she was growing up in in some way. And so we started Rebound Foundation, and we provide transitional housing for uh, women and children that leave a shelter. And uh, we do that for six months to a year. We pay their bills. We buy their groceries. We give them everything they need to rebuild their lives. And uh, job placement, uh, financial literacy, and um, we just try to give people a second chance. You know, it's no different than basketball. You miss your first shot get the rebound and hopefully get the shot. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Coach. Wishing you and your team best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. All right, thanks to Coach Ford for that. That was awesome. Um, actually, I haven't heard it yet. I just recorded the in and out of that interview and I'll listen to it later, but I'm sure it was awesome. It was. All right, let's do final thoughts. Mike, you want to do final thoughts? Yep. I got to go over to the NHL team, the Preds, and do a shoot. It was supposed to happen in 40 minutes, but instead it's in 10. Were you going to play for them? What are you doing? Well, I, I don't want to really spoil it. I got drafted. <laughs> for the press. At age 42. Mm-hmm. Around the room, Eddie, final thought. So I was given homework to watch the slam dunk contest, and I did. Dude. Wasn't McClung awesome? Mac McClung was awesome. Mm-hmm. But I don't show. know how, and Mac, Mac's great. I don't know how he plays. Like, how's he doing in the NBA? Is he good? Because he looks like he could be good. Uh, he, I, and Coleman can speak on this after I mess it up. He is a nightmare to have out there defensively it's it's tough it's tough for him to guard oh. these guys right now mm-hmm. and so it's a little struggle bus i mean look at him he's a small yeah, guy yeah, yeah he can jump i just think defensively right now he ain't there and i think that's that's what's tough what do you think about that answer no i i agree completely yeah small guard to to play the two he's not really a one Okay. Well, I mean, that he dominated that dunk contest, but I don't understand too how they judge it. Like to me, I'm like, like this. these were all That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Like every single one except Jericho Sims, like doing the whole thing, the hanging the, on his. Nobody elbows. even moved. Did you see that? Like none of the other players yeah, even reacted when he did it. They were like, okay. It's, and it's and then afterwards he grabbed his elbow like, wow, that hurt. Well, no, yeah, well, don't stick in the rim <laughs> like that. <laughs> of course exactly. it hurts. Yes, of course. But it was awesome. Thanks for the homework, dude. I enjoyed watching that. Kevin. Uh, beginning of the football season, you know, we came up with the, the great name. Of course, Coleman wasn't here, but kickoff Kevin. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, do I need to change it for basketball? You can't. No? You can't change it. You are who you are. But tip-off Kevin sounds pretty dang and, good, too. But there's no alliteration. <laughs> tip-off right, Kevin. And we're only doing this basketball for six weeks. And football is like a four-month thing. So you Bones, know, I like tip-off Kevin. Then you should be tip-off Tevin. It's there you like, go. It's like there we chop part of our tongue off. Now tip-off right. Tevin. It's like Mike Tevin. It's, it's how I feel when I bite my tongue. Okay, tip-off Tevin. Yeah. Coleman? Okay. My final thoughts, I think Russell Westbrook in his prime 
talking about my former favorite player, um, was a poor man's LeBron James, and you could have won an NBA championship around him. He never had a team set around his skill set, had terrible shooters and was still leading the league in assists with guys like Andre Robertson standing there in the corner. But what about when, like, we'll go to the OKC days when Harden was coming off as a six-man, Durant, obviously. Like, that was a pretty good team, but you're saying because it wasn't built around him? Look at what LeBron's always had. He's always had a great big that he can use in the pick and pop or pick and roll, a Bosch, a Anthony Davis, a Kevin Love. Russell Westbrook has never had that guy. He made Steven Adams look like he had offensive ability. It's, it just feels like blasphemy comparing him to LeBron. Poor man's. Poor man's. With the like, utmost respect. Poor as in, like, third world country. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like nothing. <laughs> I mean, now no we running water. Give, we want to give Jokic all this praise for but averaging Jokic a triple need- double. And Russell Westbrook, the movie, oh, was trying to knock but him. But Westbrook's like a For being ball. a stat pack. Oh, he's a stat pack. Whatever. I'm like, it's, 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 it's his own final thought. I know, I know. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, Emily, have a final thought for the day? Glad I could make my podcast debut on yes. a sports podcast yes, where yes, yes. my favorite athlete is Jim Nance. Yes. <laughs> athlete. And Did he play? Because he's big. He's a big dude, yeah. I'm sure he played at some high school okay. level or college Was level. He? Big dude? Big yeah, dude. Like six Surprisingly. Three or so. Wow. Yeah. Um, Emily, what kind of podcast would you do, though, if someone said, Emily, you could do a podcast about anything in the world that you're an expert on? Um, I listen to The Morning Toast. Mm-hmm. So, so does my wife. Yeah. I... I have talked to Caitlin about it before. Um, yeah, just like pop culture news, probably. What's really filling your cup right now, pop culture wise? Or something that's like, oh, this is what I'm thinking about right now. Come on. What am I thinking you got something. Okay, I'll come back to you. Think about it for a second. <laughs> yeah. You seem stressed. Here's, here, here's my final thought. Um, so, Rich Eisen called me yesterday, and I was with Eddie. We were working out, and I had my Apple Watch on just because I like to see where we are time wise. I'm just a big time freak. And so it pop, pops up. I don't have his number on my phone, but sometimes their name will be attached to their number. Mm-hmm. And it's like, L.A., Rich Eisen. And I'm like, Eddie, Rich Eisen's calling me right now. He's in the middle of a push-up. Yeah. And so I'm not going to answer. <sighs> hey, Rich. I told him to do pick up the phone. He's like, I can't. First I'm breathing First of all, I'm not going to talk from my watch. And second of all, <sighs> Rich, hey, buddy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't answer it there. And then I, I feel like I got to be in the right headspace to talk to Rich Eisen. And, like, he's been on the show, but that was professional. Like, I could talk to anybody in this space. But, like, human, I struggle a little bit, like, one-on-one. And so, I didn't call him back at all last night. What? You didn't? Well, it, like, I was pretty busy. But still, I could I just wasn't in the right headspace. I was tired. I don't want to, like, my first talk with Rich and I'll be good. It's like yeah, a first date. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And so, I texted him. I said, hey, man, I'll be around. So, I'm going to talk to him today. Like, what, later this afternoon at, like, 5. And I don't know what he's going to say. I hope it's cool. But I'm a little nervous about it. I have it in my calendar. Dude, what if he's like, hey, here's what you're going to do. Don't do this. Do that. Do that. Well, you'd be like, oh, oh, yes, Mr. Eisen. Like, I sure will. You better <laughs> believe it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Yes, Eisen. Sir, whatever you want. I did see him comment on your Instagram. That was cool. Which one? Oh, when, when I was filling in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said, I'll, I'll leave the keys under the mat or something. Yeah. Yeah, I hope, awesome. like, hope he's like that in person. I don't know. But I was nervous. It was like watching a, like, I was in eighth grade and a girl called, except no girl ever called me in eighth grade, so I didn't know what that was really like. Emily? What do you have now? What are you, what are you thinking You've about? Bad time. I feel like I've been keeping up with like Rihanna's baby announcement, mm-hmm. and then Emrata. Do you guys keep up with Emrata and her Oof. new boyfriend? Who does? Eric Andre. Yeah, Eric. Do Wait, you know who these people are? Hold on a minute. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Eric Andre, though, I thought he was with Emily Ratajkowski. Emrata. Yeah. Oh, that's what they call her, yeah. Emrata. Yeah. Okay, because I saw you the picture that, of like, them. We like, all know. 
What, huh? She what? said that like we'd all know. Well, I, but then I acted like I knew because I was you lying. Did, you did. Yeah. <laughs> but so I also have been following. You see the Valentine's picture they posted yes. where they were like naked yes. with like hearts. What? That's, yeah. Like he gives hope to guys <laughs> who are just like funny and normal because it's not like he's ripped up or anything. Right. Yeah. So you're upset. You like that relationship? Yeah. It's just like something current that I've been following. I don't know if they're going to be together in a week from now, but you ship that it? was crazy. You, picture. you ship them? Uh, I ship. Okay. What are you talking what about? Is this? Hey, this is turning into the morning <laughs> podcast. Look, here's the thing. I'll go and cover fashion for E, and then I'll go do Rich Eisen. <laughs> That's how diverse we are. I am versatile. That's wow. right. That is right. Well, thank you, Emily, for hopping in here. And yeah. I was just like, Emily, you can come sit with us. And I was like, well, just go ahead and sit at a microphone. She's like, this one? I was like, yeah, just go ahead and talk. All right, cool. <laughs> I was like, check your mic. She's like, why? I was like, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> know. Turning our podcast into the breakfast toast. <laughs> no, the morning toast. Whatever. Don't talk about my girls. <laughs> okay? I'm big Jackie Stan, okay? All right. All right. So it's Coleman. Yeah. 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 Jackie's awesome. They're yeah. both awesome, but I'm more of a Jackie. You know, she 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 plays a straight person. She's smart. Yeah. She sets her sister up for success and obviously hilarious, but Jackie, like, that's my girl. Yeah, she's good. I'm leaving with Eddie maybe here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we right. both go back and listen to it. <laughs> Mike, we good? We're good. All right. Thank you, guys. We will see you Monday. Uh, Coleman will be in studio. And Emily, you're welcome to join us again if you'd like. I'll be gone. But thanks for having me. Oh. I'm no, glad. Okay, so it seems like cool. she was about to be the guest of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, forward. she's our new favorite. Coleman's out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just her. All right. Thank you, guys. And go ahead. Uh, go ahead, and Kevin. Blow us out. I'm not going to lie. I don't know where money is. Oh, I got you guys. I'm, I'm the dependable one. Go I got ahead. you. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week.